Lord, that in your mercy, Lord God, you've looked upon us, Lord God. And Father, by your gift of love, Lord, you have saved us in Jesus Christ, Father God. And Lord, you've given us everything. Lord, you've given us yourself. And you've given us your eternal inheritance, Lord. You've given us everything, Lord, in Jesus Christ, Father. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord. And Father, we just look for an eternity, Lord, of giving thanks to you, Lord God, for this unspeakable gift, Father. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit our eyes may be opened, the eyes of our spirits and our hearts and our understandings, Lord, open to the depths, Lord, of an area of the character of our Lord Jesus, Father God, and of thyself, Lord. Father God, that we may be changed, Lord, directed and permanently have a place to walk and put our feet in your spirit, Lord. We pray for this transforming by your Holy Spirit. In your word, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Well, I, I pray that the Lord will order and uh, give continuity to what we're going to share about today. It's a deep theme, a very simple theme, very profound and those types of truths can be, at the same time, the easiest and the most difficult to grasp hold of. It's only the Holy Spirit that can get them deep into us. It's so simple that if we only let our minds close with it, it'll just sometimes shoot right past our spirits and parts where it really needs to find lodging. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to really delve deep and show us things that we need to need to know and need to have in Christ. <clears throat> um, I'm going to start with a proverb in chapter 18 of that book. Now there are things in the Lord that are just very deep. They concern, in a very simple way, his nature and how he intends to... Am I talking too low? Okay. Thanks, Tom. How he has given us a complete gift and a complete transformation, you know, in Christ. Proverbs 18, 17 says something very simply that I've been finding to be true more and more. I found it to be true of myself if I don't watch out. I find it constantly coming uh, to me and to others in, in, in functioning in eldership in the church. It's just part of human nature. Ours, every one of ours, our old natures, not our nature in Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. Proverbs eighteen seventeen. He that is first in his own cause seems just. But his neighbor comes and searches him. It's a phenomenon I've seen over and over and over. That when a person tells you his story, his side of a story, let's say there's a, an issue or a controversy or something like that, and the person you're talking to is telling you his side of it, 
It just sounds right, like he's right. You know? It happens over and over and over and over. I'll talk to one person, there's something going on, we'll sit down and talk. He tells his version, his or her side of it. And it just sounds like they're right. And it sounds like it all fits together that way. And this other person has maybe wronged them or not understood them or, or something. But then you know what? You go and talk to the other person. And suddenly there's a whole different side of things. And if the issue has gone to a certain point, you know what? And this person is in a similar place. What they say sounds right too from their standpoint. You talk to them and then you can hardly remember what this other person said. And when you sit down later and you think about it, you think, well, listen, and then this one, it's amazing how they both sound absolutely right in their own cause. And that's part of our nature. That's part of my nature as a human being, not in Christ, but as a human being. My nature is to see things the way I see them and to think that I'm seeing them right. To the point in human nature where people, including my nature, would contend with each other. Constantly over the way we see things. Just think I'm right. Very simple way of putting it. He that is first in his own cause seems just. You look in your experience and see if that isn't so also. But the Lord has a different outlook on it. Another proverb says that uh, of each of us ourselves, Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of a man, that, that's me and you, are clean in his own eyes. Another proverb says, right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirits. Now, what we're going to share about today, I pray that by the Lord's grace, he would be able to bring a general truth home to us personally. There's a great key here, a great secret to receiving the things of the Lord. And that is to look into the Bible... See a spiritual truth about human nature and to let God's Spirit bring that home to me personally. I do that. See, when I look and I see, boy, people are just, they're just always first in their own cause. And then my first response is, yeah, I remember when so-and-so did that and then so-and-so did it and then so-and-so did it. And then I hope the Lord can bring another step and say, oh yeah, I remember when I did it. And I remember when I thought and I usually, and I find myself, I'm always thinking this, when I get into this kind of a, that applies to me. I can sound so good when I'm after my own cause. See, that applies to me. Now, how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ? Because he's given us a different character. He's given us a character that's not just always first in our own cause. That doesn't look at ourselves first. But he's given us a character that's been delivered from that bondage of self-evaluation, that self-esteem, that self-concern. He's delivered us from that nature and brought us out into a nature of love, of being able to look at others, listen to others, receive from others, and to hear God. I tell you, that human nature that is so self-concerned, so right in our own eyes, that is a prison. That's bondage. 
It's a prison that afflicts every man that's in sin. Every woman that's in sin is afflicted. And the, the bars, the spiritual bars are not made of iron or steel. They're made of these thoughts and these attitudes that say, I'm right. Me, me, me. I'm right. And I see it this way. That's like being behind a bar in a little cage. See? We see things our own way. What's going to let us out of that prison, and that cage of the self-centered life? Only the grace of God has the power to bust that cage. You might, and people, when they first hear about that, they may, in their minds, say, oh yeah, 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 well, I can just, now I know about it, I can just think my way through it. Or, or, or now, yeah, I'll just make a little adjustment. You'll find that you cannot get out of it by yourself. You'll find that prison is so strong that no man and no woman can get out of it by themselves. It takes a power from God to deliver us from ourselves and our selfish way of thinking and living. See, only the power of God reaching into us and changing us can deliver us from that sin, that sin nature, that sinful self-centeredness. Okay, now... The way the Lord does that is through what he calls repentance. See, I, I've been thinking for some time, sometimes I get ideas to write tracts, you know, to preach the gospel. And one, one good idea that I haven't yet carried out yet, I need somebody to help me carry some of these ideas out. But one good idea that I've had that I've been working on and developing and haven't written it all down yet is to start out a tract preaching the gospel to the unsaved, with this question. What is the most beautiful word in the English language? And the answer, you know, you hear, you see little newspaper articles in years past that used to ask that question. They say, oh, uh, meadow or brook or something like that, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but the start of that question, and then the answer is repent. That's the most beautiful word that can come to the ears of a sinful man. <clears throat> Repent. See? Because contained in that word is a, first, a commandment from God. You must do that. B, an invitation. He wants you to do that. C, is a revelation. You can do it. See, See what I mean? You're not locked into that old life. You're not locked into that prison of self. God has provided the power and a doorway that he'll open that you can change. You can step out of that old bondage life. And you can step out into the love of God. So there's an invitation and an open door contained in that commandment. It says, come to God. Drop away all your miseries. Turn away from all your sins. Turn away from your crying and your sorrows and your selfishnesses that have bound you up. And turn into God who loves you. And who will set you free in a way that you never dreamed. Can ever be possible. Set you free to love and have his joy and peace. What more beautiful word could then come to the ear of a lost, bound up, and sinful creature? So, this word repent is a beautiful, beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. A lovely thing. Sometimes we hear that word and we, the image that comes into our mind is kind of like, you know, the old Uncle Sam poster, uh, I want you, you know, for, for the army, and that's the Uncle Sam poster. Well, 
It's like our, the image of our mind and the image that the devil would encourage to, when you hear that word repent would be a finger pointing at you, repent. That's the thought that comes into the human mind. That's the soul's reaction. You know? No, I tell you that word repent is so beautiful it just overflows with goodness, with love. It's such a beautiful thing. See? And it's something for us to take in, rejoice in, and walk in completely. It means be set free from everything that ever hurt or bound you up. See? Be set free. Walk into freedom. Step into God. See? Turn away from Leave all that behind. Leave behind the sickness and the sorrow, the selfishness and the suffering, the strife, the envy. Leave it behind. You can do it. God's calling you to do it. Leave behind the jealousy, the ugliness, the hatred. Leave it behind. God wants you to. God commands you to. And when a man hears and believes in Jesus Christ and responds to that message, that's exactly what can happen. Leave all that behind. Now, not knowing the depths of repentance, not knowing the permanence of repentance, not knowing the heart attitude of repentance can be a real hindrance in the Christian life of growing in Christ after salvation. We need to know the depths of repentance. Enjoy the depths of repentance. Enjoy the freedom of repentance. Be set free of everything. So entering deeper into a permanent attitude, a hard attitude of repentance, is part of, of our Christian walk. If a man, or suppose I've repented kind of mostly, you know. Maybe I've repented far enough to ask the Lord Jesus to save me, to forgive my sins and save me. That's exactly what it says. Eternal salvation. Remission of sins. Believing in Jesus Christ. But if I have areas, like Terry was saying, to let the Lord into every area of my heart, every room in my household, so to speak, inner, inner way. If I have rooms that are still closed off because... I have not opened them up through repentance. That's going to be just a hindrance. That's going to be a foul up and something that I'll stumble over in my Christian walk. I need to open up everything to the Lord. Lord, I just want to repent utterly and totally and let you in everywhere. Now, this blessed, I'm going to keep saying it because it's something we, we need to be transformed into thinking the way the Lord thinks. This wonderful Blessed gift, this precious gift of repenting, see, is something that only God can give. One scripture says, says uh, of a person who's maybe caught up in a, in a deception or an evil thing, you know, and you're trying to minister to him, it says to minister in, a, in an attitude, and it gives the spirit of, you know, meekness and etc., and, and to teach with all long suffering, you know. If peradventure, God may grant him repentance. Because I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, that repentance, that breaking, that admission, ah, I'm wrong. I'm, my attitude's wrong. I've been wrong. That is utterly foreign to human nature, to the sin nature. Only God's grace can give that and grant it. I tell you, the nature of man is to set himself and to say, I am not wrong. I'm not wrong, you're wrong. You're saying this and this, well, I think this and this. That's human nature. And to not have that reaction of saying, oh, I'm right. 
Well, I might have made a little mistake, but still I'm mostly right. Well, you might prove me 99% wrong, but I'm still 1% right. That, that protest, that proud protest that will not bow, man will not bow the knee. Man will not humble himself. That's sin nature. That's human nature. It's deep, deep within every man and every woman. Only God can give us deliverance from it to set us free. See, The place of walking in grace and walking in humility, walking humbly with our God. You know what comes between people and, walking, and them walking humbly with their God? A lack of breaking, a lack of that repentance that has said, God, I'm wrong. I was so wrong. I was so wrong, God. By your grace, I hope I never pick up that, that phony standard saying, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. I hope I never pick that up again. Because I found out how wrong I was and how wrong I can be. The Bible calls that condition a broken and a contrite heart. Let's look then in uh, the Psalms. Psalm 51 and verse 17. See, there are conditions, spiritual conditions, inner conditions, conditions of attitude and of heart and of mind. There are some that are of God. They're good. They're excellent. And there are other conditions and attitudes of heart and mind that are not of God. They're wicked and they're sinful. They have to go. Okay, Psalm 51. And we're going towards verse 17. I'm going to read a few verses up toward it. We're headed toward verse 17. Have mercy upon me, beginning of verse 1, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He's not saying, not because of anything I did, but according to your mercy, Lord, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. See, when God judges something, he says, that's wrong. David is saying by the Spirit, he says, God, I, what you say when you judge, let it be very clear in everybody's mind that when you judge me, you are right. When you said I had a wrong attitude, you are right, Lord. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. That's what God wants. Notice Psalm, he says, the man who will abide and dwell with the Almighty is the one who will speak truth in his heart. Not deceive himself, or speak vanity, self-flattery. Self-flattering things. Will not speak those things in his heart, but will speak truth in his heart. And in the inward, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Okay. Create in me a clean heart. Very familiar verse. Renew a right spirit within me. Let's go down then to uh, verse 16. For thou desiredst not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. All these sacrifices, the old covenant. The sacrifices of God, and this is the revelation that this, this servant of God had in the Old Testament times. This, this, he, 
prophesied by the Holy Spirit, and he had this revelation from God, even in Old Testament times. So the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken and a contrite heart. See, he's talking about the inward condition, the inward place in you and I. He's talking about in here. You know, substitute yourself, your own heart, your own spirit. He's talking about your spirit, your heart, my heart. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. Now, I looked up that word contrite. What does that mean? Contrite spirit, a contrite heart. You know what it means? It means literally crushed. A broken and a crushed heart. Another corollary meaning is collapsed. A contrite spirit, a contrite heart is one that has collapsed, it has been crushed. Not crushed by some evil outside influence, but crushed by the, by the repentance and the admission of I was wrong. My pride and my vanity have been wrong before God and in his eyes the whole time. And that little proud thing that's in every human nature collapses down and says, no more am I going to stand up and pretend like I got the right track. I'm the righteous one. I know where it's at. I'm through with that. God is where it's at. God is right. I've been wrong the whole time. Now, when that happens within a person, you have the beginnings of a whole clearing out of all those rooms and all those areas of the heart that God can then walk in and put his righteousness, put the righteousness of Jesus Christ where we have been flourishing with our own righteousness. Well, look what I did. Look what I did here. Look what I did. Look how good I am at this. Look I... And clear out all that junk and replace it with the humility of Christ and with the his righteousness, not our own. See? Our own works in all those rooms just mess up everything. They gum it up. They, they muddy up the waters. They confuse us. We go through all kinds of warfare because we still retain our own righteousness. Okay, now, so the Lord is actually looking. Let's turn then to Psalm 34. Now, I don't want this to be like an abstract sort of thing, a theoretical thing. I want it to be something that can become very practical and very personal, intensely personal. How crushed is my heart? You know, in the truth of being repentant, really repentant, or how much do I still have in my nature, my thinking and my attitudes, what the Bible calls a rod of pride, where I still think I'm where it's at, I got it together somehow, and I'm I know something and I know a little bit about where it's at, and I'm gonna how much is that pride is still there? The pride of life, the pride of man. It's just in man's nature like, uh, well, I don't know, like dye is in some cloth. It's, got, it's seeped in so far that you can't find a molecule of cloth that's not dyed purple if it's been thoroughly dyed. You can cut a piece of purple cloth if it's been, well, if it's been thoroughly dyed, and you cut it and cut it and cut it and cut it, and you go inside to the very core of that strand, expecting maybe I'll find right in the core of that little thread it'll be white. And it's purple. It has been thoroughly dyed. Soaked all the way through. And pride is like that in the human nature. 
It's soaked all the way through. Pride and self-esteem. Brothers and sisters, that is bondage. That's a bondage. That's a lack of freedom. That's misery. It's miserable to be locked up in yourself. That's what loneliness is, is being locked up in yourself. That's what the bondage of sin comes out like, is not being able to talk and love other people with a pure love. There was a point when the Lord was dealing with me where I thought I was doing pretty good. I didn't know the Lord. And I thought, well, I've got these kind of uh, social relationships and these kind of this and that. I thought I was doing okay. And then the Lord just kind of tapped me on the shoulder a little bit and showed me that everything that I said was tainted. That somehow, even if I asked for a glass of water, it was self-serving. Even if I said something nice, there was some kind of self-serving attitude in it. You know, it somehow built me up. Even though I was saying something nice to somebody else, it still built me up. It was tainted. Always tainted with self-interest, with self-promotion. Like I couldn't get away from it. The only thing that could get me away from it or anyone else is a transformation to be, to be changed. To have that character actually take out, destroyed on the cross, which is God's plan, to crucify us in Jesus Christ. To kill our old character. God never planned to patch us up, make us a little better so we'd be expect, uh, acceptable. God planned to take our nature, our old nature, and kill it in Jesus Christ on the cross. See, that's God's plan. And then to replace it with the nature of his own son. See, that's God's plan. It's not a patch-up job. It's an actual replacement with the character of Jesus. Okay. Now, here in Psalm 34, there's a wonderful comment. It says... In verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh, that's near, unto them that are of a broken heart, and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Remember a crushed spirit? But if you look in your past or somewhere, maybe even now, you can find an echo of it, even though it's not your true nature anymore if you've received Christ. But you can look and see uh, somewhere, when I look in my being, make this personal, I see somewhere there's a tendency for some part of me that just wants to rise up. You know, just wants to rise up and be proud. You know, to say, I've got something. You know, or I'm something. Paul said, if a man thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let's just turn then to Galatians chapter 6, where that scripture is contained. See, these are very simple things, brothers and sisters, but they're deep. They're so deep that our minds will not grapple with them unless we lean in to try and listen to the Holy Spirit with our hearts. See, See, our mind doesn't want to grapple with something like that. Okay, Galatians 6. And verse 3. Now, the situation he's talking about is talking about restoring someone who has been overtaken in a fault and how to minister, what attitude of your own heart to minister in. I'll just read that from verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. 
considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Not in a spirit of judgment or condemnation or looking down on another person, but in a spirit of meekness, trying to see them restored out of love. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. He deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work. And he goes on and he ministers a proper attitude. Okay, that tendency to think that we're something, that we are something. Oh, I may not be, uh, I may not be great like Abraham Lincoln, but I'm something. Or whatever level we put it at. A man thinks himself to be something. When he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now see, brothers and sisters, there's a vision. There's a place to step into that's outside of human nature, that's beyond human nature, that's in Christ. That's what God calls us to. And that is to step out of thinking we're something into knowing that we're nothing. Does that sound like a good vision? that to the man on the street, and he'll say, what? You want me to uh, join a church where uh, I will get up and proclaim that I'm nothing? Yeah, amen, you know, when you, when you catch a hold of what that really, where that comes from, what it really means. You know, you're being delivered, you're being set free from thinking you're something, which is just pride and what the Bible calls vanity. Vanity is a scourge of human nature. Vanity. Think it were something. It's a scourge of human nature. It causes us to come into conflict with others because, oh, you don't see it the way I think you should see it. And the obvious example. But see, that self-concern can take all kinds of subtle forms. Self-pity is a form of it. A person is always just feeling sorry for themselves. Their focus is on themselves. They're in bondage just as much as the person that thinks they're the king of the heap. That's just as strong a bondage and just as miserable. There are all kinds of self-focusing mechanisms. They're all of the devil. God sets us free from it. In his grace we enter into love and we're set free from that self-centered, self-concerned, self-focusing me way of living. And believe me, being sprung free of that is a tremendous job. It's a tremendous job. You have to go deep. These things are deep. The work that Christ did and has finished, see, it goes deep into each one of our natures, each one of our individual lives. It goes deep, right down to the root. Down to the very root and the very core of that old sin nature. To root it out, that old self nature, and replace it with love, with Christ. To be a new creature in Christ. He's accomplished that work. That's what we're speaking of. So I don't want to walk around kind of just with half of it manifested or realized. I want to walk around in a repentant attitude of heart so that I can get the whole manifestation as much as, as God's grace can get through to me to, to put into, into practice. Okay, <clears throat> Psalm 34. We already read that. Uh... Galatians, 
gives the key to this whole area. I'm just going to mention that, and then we'll return to it in a little bit. In the end of chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says a particular thing. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. He says, God forbid that I should glory. You know, one of the trickiest things in the spiritual walk with Christ is when we do something right, we finally do something right, we want to glory it. You know, ah, finally let the Lord use me in a prophecy, or I, I finally gave the right Bible study, or I, I finally was able to do that. Ah, oh, at last I can glory in something. <laughs> and uh, we, all, we still we even want to glory in what the Lord has done, and he still has to take us deeper, not to glory in anything except in Jesus Christ himself. You know? And like Paul says, I won't glory except in his cross. That's what set me free. You know, from that old sin nature, that self-bondage, bondage to myself. It's the cross of Jesus that set me free. That's the price that had to be paid to spring me out of that prison of myself. He paid that price. It's the only one that could get me out of there. Okay. Um... So like I say, that's the key to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, to receive the work that's done, and to be sprung out into a whole different uh, realm. Freedom from self, self-esteem, self-glory, self-exalting, uh, all those things that has to do with focusing on ourself. <clears throat> okay, now. Um, let's look in 2 Corinthians for a, another uh, substantial comment in this from Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 11. Paul says, and he's explaining his ministry to them and the things that have happened to him. He's not doing it for, to, to glorify himself. Now, he told that he had been beaten so many times, he had all these things, that he'd been shipwrecked, all these horrible things. For the sake of the gospel, it happened to him. He wasn't doing it to build himself up in other people's eyes. He was doing it so that they could open up and receive what he was saying to them by the Spirit. He wanted to do it for their good. If they had a block against him, he wanted them not to look at him, but to just receive what the Spirit of God was trying to say to them through him. You know? That's why he was doing it. He says, look, in verse 11, I've become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. See? And there's the proper attitude in the Lord. Of himself, he said, I am nothing. But through the grace of God, he was able to do what God said him to do and give God glory in it. Through the through believing God, he was able to see that he could walk in righteousness because Jesus' righteousness was given to him. See? When we repent, it doesn't leave us just smashed. It should leave our own self-exalting nature, our self-centered nature. It should leave that smashed and crucified. But God doesn't stop there with a flat grease spot you know, for a servant or a son or a daughter. Once we have been crucified in Christ, 
then he gives us that righteousness which comes by faith. He gives us Jesus' nature to walk in his righteousness and then glorify him. Not to get any glory for ourselves, but to glorify Jesus in what we do. That's freedom. Freedom. I tell you, brothers and sisters, it's bondage to to have vanity in our minds. To have that self-centered vanity that's human nature. Let's look what David had to say in the Psalms about that. Back in Psalm uh, 39, he describes man's nature. If If we live on this earth past the age of one, we'll become increasingly more and more aware that this is just true. Psalm 39, verse 4. Now, David is begging God to show him, in a sense, when he's going to die. He wants to know how short his life is on this planet. So he can have a more accurate estimate of himself because that vanity keeps thinking, if vanity will tell a man, oh, you're... As I think about it, you're you're gonna you're never gonna die. You're just gonna oh nothing will ever happen to you. Everything's gonna no. We have a an appointed lifetime, and then that's it. And we don't know unless God reveals to us when that David is begging God and saying, "Show me how short my life is, so I can have a more accurate estimate of where I'm really at before you." Verse four: Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. David coveted that, that, that humbling. David coveted that, that humility of heart and mind. He didn't covet to be feel big and proud and on top of everything and the biggest. No, he coveted and he had to beg God for it just like we do because it's only a gift in Christ. He had begged God for a humble attitude of heart and mind, not to think of himself higher than he should. Lord, because that's the natural man, always thinking of ourselves first and higher than we should. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. It's about as wide as my hand. God sees the beginning from the end. Mine age is as nothing before you. A thousand years is like a day with the Lord. He's the Almighty. He's the Eternal One. David hungered to know that. Not just theoretically, he hungered to know how little and frail he was and how mighty and eternal God is. He hungered for that. Verily, he said, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. That was David's assessment of human humanity, including himself, including every one of us in our old human nature. Every man at his best state. Think of you at your best state. Think of me at my best state. Altogether vanity. So what? That's what it was worth. Surely, he said in verse 6, Surely every man walks in a vain show. Look, and I apply that to myself, that applies. It applies just like it applies to every other man that was ever born. Every man walks in a vain show. So what? What's it worth? It's worthless. That's what vanity means, worthless. A man at his best state is just vanity. That's his estimate. Okay, and that's an accurate estimate. 
vanity. And part of repentance is to be delivered from that vanity of trying to trying to boost up something that's worthless anyway. And just being set free from that to walk into God, walk into Jesus and his righteousness. And to be done with that inflated balloon that's my own estimate of myself or my attempt to build up or pump up my estimate of myself and get others to agree with it. That whole vain way of living, approach to life. Oh, brothers and sisters, see, the whole point is what a sigh of relief just to be relieved of doing that whole trip that the whole world of man is into. Just to be free of that, not to have to build ourselves up in some vain thing, show again. Just to know that we're free of that forever in Jesus Christ. That he has made us free. He's put real substance in us. You know, No longer that phony show. Now he's put something real in there. He's put substance in our lives. And we are free of that whole phony thing. And part of that freedom is we don't have to then maintain our own how right I am and oh, I'm so right and I'm going to conflict with this and I'm going to show that and I'm going to prove the... I'm not going to prove nothing. No. I'm going to quit that whole way of thinking by God's grace, I pray, and try and show forth His righteousness. Show how right He is, not how right I am, because I'm not. Show how right He is. Glorify Him. Let people see Him. Let them hear about Him. He's the one who's done it. And to come to a rest in that and just be glad. Oh, Lord God, I'm glad to be rid of that whole phony scheme of things. The whole phony way of living. Glad to be rid of that and delivered into reality of Jesus Christ. Reality that will never change. Never be altered, never be taken away. To eternal life. Eternal reality. That's what Jesus is. It's eternal reality. Okay, so part of, this, part of this will manifest in fruits of being easily teachable, accepting easily. Like the Bible says, receiving with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. That pride of man, I tell you, brothers and sisters, is always resisting the word of God that comes and convicts us and just shows us the way things really are. You know? And not just convict us that this and this is wrong, but come to convict us that God loves us so tremendously. God is, tr- is always pouring encouragement. God is always lifting us up. God wants us to do this and this in his love. God wants us to walk in confidence and joy. God loves to have us be at peace. He loves us to be flooded with his grace. See? Now what is it in me or in my old nature that would resist this wonderful gift of peace and of love and grace from God? It's just, some little, it's just hassling with some little vain thing. You know? What is this little proud thing that wants to hassle with this or hassle with that and not stop it and just listen and receive the love of God see, and walk in it and be blessed by his love? And just stop that hassling that comes from vanity and pride and walk in his truth. See? It's a gift. It's part of the gift of repentance. The gift of believing in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I waste so much of my time, brother, hassling with things. You know, inside and out, that I could just, I could be through with that whole thing. You know, just by receiving, believing this. Okay. I bet you that I'm not the only one. Hallelujah. Um, so Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, save him. The cross of Jesus Christ. Now, 
The Lord did something real precious the other night. And I like to glorify the Lord. You know, uh, <clears throat> One thing that, that he changes us in is to grow in his spirit to come to glorify him and not take credit for what he does, including what he has done in our life. You know, Oh, look how big I've grown in Christ now. I'm a real, oh, look what happened now. Uh, see, that old pride tries to sneak in and glorify ourselves in vanity. And that's part of growing in Christ is that he changes us consistently not to do that, but to continually say it's, it's him that did it. Now look what the Lord's done now. Boy, look what the Lord has done this time. Well, human nature doesn't react like that, but he's changing us to react like that. And uh, last night I just got a blessing. It was just a gift from the Lord. I was just lying there, uh, didn't do nothing, didn't deserve nothing. A lion there, Lord gave us a little gift. You know, it was... Him gave it to me, lying on my bed. He made me, he brought the thought of this guy that got saved several years ago. Uh, we had known each other in high school. Uh, my brother and I got saved. And I didn't even remember it, but I met him years later. And he said, I guess while I was at the lighthouse, the Lord used me. I wrote a letter. And the Lord wrote it. Or wrote something to him. I sent it off to him. I forgot all about it. Years later, I met him. He was saved. He was married to a fine Christian sister, walking with the Lord, ministering the gospel. And he said, he told me an amazing thing. I didn't even remember that letter. But he said, you know what? He said, I was, it was during the old hippie dropout days in Northern California. He said, I was walking through the hills, Northern California, for three months. And every day, he said, I carried that letter around with me in my back pocket. And every day I took it out and read it. You know? And I was just going, wow, I didn't even remember that thing. You know? And here the Lord saved him. And I just lying on my bed the other night and I was thinking about it. And his name is Melvin Cooper. I hope we'll meet him sometime. You know, he's, he's in the Lord's work now. And I uh, was thinking of Melvin Cooper. And I just think, and that's just, just this joy was right there. You know, it's just a joy that the Lord saved him. What the Lord did. It's a joyful thing. You know. Um, uh, and I remember, like Paul's whole attitude of heart was, he says, you're my crown, you're my joy. I joy so much to, to think that God has done this in, in your life, you know, that God is working in you. God loves you, he's saved you, he's doing mighty things through you, you know. And there's that transformation, uh, a different Lord, to joy in what he had done. Like in the past, I got a little bit of a thrill, my soul got a little bit of a thrill out of the thought that... Uh, he carried, a letter, he carried my letter around for three months. So I never heard anybody do well, that's one of my letters. Usually I read them and throw them away. You know? And that little pride would sneak in and say, Ooh. And now I pray that that is, I pray to God that it would be all gone. There would be none of that. You know? And I think he's done uh, some of that job you know, to get rid of, of, of a good part of it. I pray it would be all gone and I'd just be able to joy that God saved him, God's using him, God's made him mighty, you know. I'm so glad he's saved. I'm so glad he knows the Lord. That's a joy. And uh, so, see, I think we need to have a vision that as we are taken on in the Lord, he is progressively ridding us of all of that self-concern, self-centered, vain attitude. 